Welcome to Legendary Bites, a podcast dedicated to two things we love, sports and brevity. I'm Seth. I'm Charlie. Each episode, we're going to bring you a bite-sized sports story in under 15 minutes that we find fascinating, important, or just plain absurd. Now, with brevity in mind, let's get into it. Charlie, what do we got today? Today, we are going to tell you the story of Harold Moore and how his tragic death changed football and made it the sport that it is today. So our story opens on a crisp fall day in New York. Crunching leaves on your feet. People are wearing their long coats. Uh, the sun's still shining in the sky. And the stands are packed at the Union College versus NYU football game. Now it's the final game of the year. And Union College is really leaning on their star running back. Uh, who actually captains both the offense and the defense. Which was a thing back then. Uh, and his name is Harold Moore. Harold Moore is an engineering major. Um, he's carried the team all year, and for this final game, his dad is actually in the stands. Now, the year here is 1905. 1905, not one that they teach you a lot about in history class. Nope. What else happened that year? Las Vegas is founded. Seth, you've you've been to Las Vegas. What happens in Las Vegas? Usually, it that stays in Las Vegas. Einstein released his theory of relativity. Seth, you can explain that, right? Yeah, it might, might be tough to get it under 15 minutes, but we'll see if we have time. Listen all the way to the end for that. And Teddy <laughs> Roosevelt is the president of the United States. Yeah, Teddy is one of the most fascinating characters in U.S. history. He loves vigorous activity uh, and physical contact. Basically anything else a 20th century manly man would love. But this 26th president of ours, Teddy, he also loves football. And he made the national park system really happen, and we love him for that. Oh, yeah. But football in 1905 is a very different game. At that point in the season, 17 people have already died on the field while playing college football. You may want to stay seated for a second. Some really messed up stuff happened, and there were a lot of fatalities. 17 is a lot of deaths. And around then, you know, the media is already starting to turn on the game of football itself. Collier's Weekly, The Nation, Chicago Tribune, a bunch of these papers wrote exposés about how money and violence were taking over the sport. Now remember, this is 1905. The NFL won't be founded for another 15 years. So the biggest programs in the sport are college teams, Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Penn. And it's those college teams who are actually being called out for excessive violence, and they're being accused of allowing money to turn amateur athletics into professional sports. One way that money was kind of starting to ruin the game had to do with recruitment. Often grown men were paid to play and sometimes added to the rosters right before a game starts. Pretty, pretty absurd. Just dangerous. Football looks very different then. It's driven by colleges. The powerhouse programs are in the Ivy League. Pads are basically non-existent. You know, nobody's wearing a helmet um, and gameplay itself is totally different. So in 1892, Harvard plays Yale, and they invent something called the wedge offense. Basically, there's this giant flying V of man meat. And they form a V. I've heard of this before, but I've never seen it. It's the flying V. 
the ball carrier would sit behind this V-shaped formation of, of guys, and they would wear these special belts. And you would hold on to the belt of the guy in front of you in the V, just forming this giant interconnected battering ram of human flesh with the ball carrier behind you all game long. And many of the other rules are completely different as well. The wedges, it leads to just very violent games. And the wedge was used by both NYU and Union College on that fateful fall day in 1905. So as NYU is trudging downfield in, in a pretty close matchup, Harold Moore, who's captaining the defense, leaps over and tries to stop the play uh, from moving forward. After the play kind of resolves itself, 22 guys get piled up together. And as they start to peel each other off and kind of walk towards the sidelines, one player isn't getting up, and that's Harold Moore. Now, Harold is rushed to the hospital and tragically is pronounced dead on arrival. He is the 18th player to die while playing football that season. The next day, NYU announces that they'll be folding their football program altogether. It's a very tragic story. Let's cut back to the White House for a second, to Teddy Roosevelt. So his son is actually playing for Harvard and has broken several bones that season alone. Teddy also, being this vigorous 20th century manly man, loves football. But he could see that at this point it's on a path to destruction. And he steps in to try to save it. So he basically calls together a council of university presidents to come to the White House and talk about how to save the sport. Now, while Teddy Roosevelt is assembling this group to start to talk about how to, you know, what to do about football, schools themselves are actually starting to act. Stanford, Cal, Columbia, Northwestern, Duke, Georgia, Georgia Tech, all these schools are dropping their football programs altogether. Wisconsin attempts to do the same, but in classic Scotty fashion, the student protests go way too far. Classic. <laughs> yeah, very. It actually turns into a riot, and students show up with shotguns, 500 of them, march on the president's house, and it ends with the students burning effigies of the school's top faculty in the gymnasium. We're going streaking through the quad and into the gymnasium. Come on, everybody! Kansas City actually ends up banning high school football altogether. And it was gone for 13 years until 1918 when it returned only to have the season cut short by a pandemic, the old Spanish flu. Ah, uh, the pandemics of yore. So Roosevelt's summit kicks off and everybody agrees, you know, they want to save football, but they know that the only way to do that is going to be to change the sport. So they meet and they make a couple really big decisions. Um, one, they decide to create something called the National College Athletic Association, the NCAA, as a governing body for the sport. You know, the NCAA at this point we know is uh, vaguely evil, but at that point it was created to basically be a governing body. There's nobody who's in charge, now there is. And they actually totally change the rules of the sport. Among the things that come from this summit, the 10-yard first down. Yeah, previously, first downs were five yards. So these wedge offenses were ramming into these massive defenses. Also, players could just gain five yards. It was brutal. And as part of that battle royale, there's no neutral zone at this point. So you can line up about an inch from the other guy's face, no helmets, and they're smashing into each other. So they establish the neutral zone, which basically means that the offensive line and the defensive line have to stay a ball's width apart before the ball snapped. And the best one, they legalize the forward pass. Which means that they can pass the ball, you know, beyond the line of scrimmage. So literally, passing was invented because of this summit. 
I'm just picturing Roosevelt sitting in the meeting and throwing a pen to somebody across the room and everybody's eyes just lighting up at, you know, <laughs> what, a, what a great idea he'd just come up with. I mean, that's why he's president. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. Exactly. Exactly. You need somebody, you need leadership. <laughs> And the wedge-driven collisions are gone. The belts are banned, and you know the, that part of the sport, the, the most dangerous part of the sport, has been eliminated altogether. Yeah, I think that was uh, one of the best rule changes they made. Another rule change was that college teams would cease to play high school teams, which was crazy that that was even happening at the time. Nuts. And these kind of mismatch games or games that were getting too violent uh, was what they were trying to avoid moving forward. So the precursor to the Big Ten which is basically the conference of Midwestern teams, banned rivalry games altogether. So Wisconsin, actually, in particular, they banned games against Michigan, Minnesota, Chicago, just because they were you know, going to be too violent. I don't know that I would want to play Wisconsin after their student body you know, took shotguns to the president's yeah. house, but I get it. Um, these rule changes also unleashed this wave of innovation. So the forward pass and the 10-yard first down just completely changed the entire sport, as you can imagine. What kind of play you got for this situation? How about the annexation of Puerto Rico? Amos Alonzo Stagg, who is the legendary coach of the University of Chicago for four decades, also introduces the huddle and brings in a bunch of innovative parts of his offense, which involve throwing the ball down the field. Sounds crazy at the time, but now is the core of the game. Stagg also introduced and created the tackling dummy, came up with a quick pre-snap shift called the Minnesota shift, which became widely adopted by 1910. He's really like the innovator who takes the game from where it was during the wedge period into the next period, you know, leads the way for the West Coast offense and all that kind of stuff that came after it. The best part about Stag creating the huddle offense is that that instantly creates the no huddle offense, which is, I would argue, even more of an innovation. Completely agree. Stag would have hated it, though. <laughs> In 1920, so you know, 15 years after Harold Moore's death, another meeting actually took place between four now professional teams in Canton, Ohio. And these teams were founded between 1908 and the 1910s, so all in the aftermath of these rule changes. These teams got together and founded what was the precursor to the NFL. So the rule changes that were enacted in 1905 allowed the game to grow and become essentially what it is today. Don't get us wrong. Harold's death is a tragedy. He's still a kid. He had his whole life ahead of him. He was working on an engineering degree. His life was cut short unnecessarily. As we now know, some very simple rule changes could have saved his life and could have given him a life that he was never able to have. Though deaths in football didn't exactly stop after these rule changes, they did begin to decline, and the game itself evolved. Harold Moore's death, though tragic, was a make-or-break point for the sport. And in some way, Harold Moore saved football. Without Harold, we don't get these rule changes like the forward pass. And without that, there's certainly no Randy Moss or Peyton Manning or Patrick Mahomes. Though most people don't know his name, the legacy of Harold Moore should be up there with the most impactful people in the history of football. Thank you to a producer, Patrick Buddy, to Jesse Rose for his design talents, and to whoever designed those stupid wedge belts for making us be able to see clips of Randy Moss today. Follow us on all things social at LegendaryBytes underscore. That's at LegendaryBytes underscore for a lot more interesting nuggets from each story. 
Do you have a great story idea? Shoot us an email at legendarybytes at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Finally, subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to get more great 15-minute stories on sports, history, and everything in between.